Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I need to send a shout out to everyone who is accessing my Patreon and helping to support this show. If you are interested in helping to pay the bills around here, because I'm the only one doing that, folks. I don't have any sponsorships. I don't have any uh, organization that I report to. So it's just us here. It's just me sitting alone in the dark, sending off mysterious files to my amazing producer, Cody. So I want to give a shout out to the folks who are helping to make that happen. Eric, Meredith, Goujon, Amy, W, Andrea, Anna T. B, Esther, Hadiara Copley-Woods, Joanna, JP, Kathleen M, Lady Katerina, Marshall Flax, Marty Wilder, Meg B, Sarah L, Scott J, Shahan, Stephanie S, Tawny, the Mostly Harmless, The Adipositivity Project, James R. P, and Josh Holiday. With special shout out to my number one big old sponsor, Liz Scott. Without all of you guys pushing in, it would be that much more difficult for me to crank these episodes out. So thank you. And I love you. And if you're interested in donating, please follow the Patreon link and let's get it on. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So sit back and relax, or you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. Welcome to my very first video episode of the All That and Mo podcast. My name is still Melina Lee Williams Haas, and I am coming to you from beautiful Vienna, Austria. And I'm coming to you on my own today because my beloved Spassmeister, Professor Sir, is even as we speak in Graz on his way to a book event to promote his memoir of his experiences growing up in a Nazi-oriented family. And today I want to talk about why he is there and I am here. And we're not in the same place because we are pretty much fused. If you are a Steven Universe fan, you know what that means. If you are not, uh, you can just accept attached at the hip as a good example of what I'm talking about. So I'm going to roll back a little bit to talk about my experiences, our experiences in traveling outside of Vienna in the hinterlands of Austria. And the reality is it's not awesome. This is a nation that I don't think many Americans understand had a really different outcome in terms of how citizens were treated after the fall of the Reich, right? In Germany, there were trials, there were mea culpas, there was accountability. Even to this day, when you get out at certain train stations in Berlin, there are signposts that are pointing to where the various concentration camps existed and signs indicating how many people were murdered 
and little placards in front of various homes talking about the human beings, the individuals who live there, and when they were taken, what camp they were taken to, and when they were murdered. So Germany is very fucking serious about this. Austria, on the other hand, the criminals just went back home and resumed their lives. And so you had people in universities, professors, you had doctors, lawyers, policemen, all these folks who had had zero repercussions for their losses and their aggressions and their transgressions. And so they just kind of went back home and nothing really fucking happened to them, which is shit, okay? Because what happens when that happens is there's no turning inward. There's no analysis. There's no ability to rethink your actions, right? So unlike in Germany, where, for example, school kids are taken on field trips to see concentration camp ruins and, and in places where they are restored even, so they understand fully what's going on. To contrast that in Austria, where the first year that Georg and I were together, he told me that there was a monument to the annexation of Austria that still stood. And I said, there's no way. I was like, isn't it illegal? And he's like, well, not really. Whereas in Germany, like anything with a swastika is so fucking illegal, right? Like you can't display it, you can't show it. And there are, there are repercussions if you do those things. Whereas in Austria, it's sort of just like, well, you know, if you're a Nazi, that's your opinion. And it's just fascinating to me where you see places, you see countries, you see cultures where violence against people of various races committed by people who have different opinions is still happening. You know, you have Australia where you have the horrifying truth finally revealed to the rest of the world that Australia is so fucking racist that they don't even want to let Australian citizens have an equal say in their disposition, i.e. the indigenous people who are being ground to a powder and destroyed deliberately by the government there. And it is ongoing and continues and is supported by the populace, so fuck you guys. And here in Austria, there are many people who still have this point of view that, well, you know, there were crimes on both sides or we were victims too, sort of thing. So Georg said, no, we're going to see this. I'm going to show this to you. And so we drove out to the countryside. And in this field, you could just see what looked kind of like a miniature Stonehenge, let us just say, these huge sort of rough hewn pillars. And in the center, there was a big plaque that had previously been on an elevated stone pillar. And we parked and walked up to it. And the original plaque to the annexation of Austria was gone from the top of the pillar. And there was a new plaque on the side of the monument that said, while this used to be a monument to the annexation of Austria by the Nazis and, you know, blah, blah, it is now a monument for peace. And so leave us alone, essentially. And I was just laughing. So I was like, this is the most Austrian solution ever. It's like, we're not going to erase the fact that this has to do with Nazis. We're going to gently remind you that this is, in fact, for Nazis, but it's been repurposed. So everything's fine, which is some bullshit, isn't it? Georg and I have had some really deeply fucking unpleasant experiences traveling outside of the larger cities in Western Europe. It's just a fact. The way I would explain it to my American people listening, if you look at any country, right, let's take Austria because I'm here. Vienna is probably the equivalent to like, you know, I'd say Chicago, New York. And then the moment you go outside, you're looking at, you know, backwoods of insert southern state 
that crushes the will of queer people and thinks that women don't have the right to choose how their bodies are utilized by giant <laughs> fucking parasites for almost a year, right? So yeah, it's like going from New York to backwoods, Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, wherever, in the middle of nowhere, where like some fucking banjos are about to start playing at any moment, right? And as cosmopolitan as people would like to think Vienna is, let us not make the mistake to think that there is not issues here. But the reality is that the smaller cities tend to have a population that are absolutely not in a place where it's frowned upon to be openly racist and bigoted. We've had so many instances. The first time we were in Graz, we stood at the front of a restaurant waiting to be seated for five minutes as people just walked by us. We were driving in the countryside and Georg passed this really lovely little old school Austrian house by the side of the road where they serve food and you know they have the whole thing. He's like, ah, yes, this is a perfect place. This is the authentic, real rustic fruit of the countryside. So he chopped out of the car to walk in and see if they were open because sometimes places close for lunch. And it was later in the afternoon. Gil came back out very excited and said, yes, he's still open. It's wonderful. We can have lunch here. So closed up the car, walked in. And the second the two of us walked through the door, he turned and looked at me and said, we're closed. And Gerard was ready to like fight this motherfucker. And I was like, you know what? No. Why? You're not going to change his mind and we're not going to eat here. Okay, I'm not going to eat somewhere. Like, let's say you fight him into serving us. Are you going to also observe what he does in the kitchen to my plate? I don't think so. So let's just rock the fuck on and find somewhere to spend our money where it's actually welcome, right? So that is what we did. That's not even a microaggression, that's a macroaggression. But like the other micros also become very, very fucking taxing. And so when Georg announced to me that he had planned this miniature book tour, where he was going to be doing several different talks in the smaller cities in Austria, I just had such a horrible feeling wash over me. And I said, Georg, I, I really think you shouldn't do this. And he explained his reasons and they were all awesome and amazing reasons. And I totally support that. And he had the support of his brother, who is a visual artist and some of whose work appears in the memoir that Georg penned. And so all of this was going to be really exciting and a pushback against the ever increasing rise of fascism and the acceptance of right wing and fascist thought in the public discourse and the fact that they're getting more and more foothold in the governments. Right. And I said, OK, you know, well, he is the boss. It is his choice. And while he is a boss, I am also his servant and his protector and muse and all these things. And so I just, I couldn't hold on to this feeling without letting him know that I just had this very serious, draining, sickly feeling about doing this particular thing. And then a few weeks went by and then some more details came through that there was actually an organized group of right-wing Nazi sympathizers. I'll just call them that. They would like to call themselves something else. I can't remember what it is. It's irrelevant. They're fucking Nazis. Are going to come and protest the inaccuracy and the slander and the fear-mongering in his book. And I was like, oh, that's really great. So they're going to show up with me there. I'm there. It's going to be... A... And, and the feelings just got worse and worse. And then he started feeling really uncertain about it. And I said, you know what, Professor, I please deeply, deeply reconsider this because it's now not feeling good to you either because he was having really really sketchy and bad feelings about it as well and so he decided about five or six days before we were to leave that yes 
he was going to not do this mini book tour and we would instead go to visit some friends in the countryside in their small town. Great. So the morning we're getting ready to leave, keep in mind that I have shifted our packing because when we were initially going to be doing this whole like do, 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 running around tour, there was no way we could travel with the normal amount of accoutrement that I need for my fashion senses. So I had relaxed my limitations and expanded us so that we each had two mid-sized suitcases and I was like, that's fine. But the reality is that morning that we were waking up and leaving for the airport and I'm in the shower, one eye barely open because I got maybe four hours of fucking sleep the night before. And Georg comes into the bathroom and peeks in the shower and says, I just need to tell you, I have decided that I am going to go. I must do this. I must stand in the face of blah, 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 all of his brave shit. And of course I support him. Of course I want for him to go out there and do these things. But when I have seriously bad feelings, I've just spent my whole life being told that my feelings were just feelings and they were my imagination and I was making things up and I was overreacting. And so to get to the point where I'm finally paying attention to myself and my feelings and then to have that not ignored because he did not ignore it, but to say, I hear what you're saying and I do believe you and I'm still going to make this other choice is one of the probably most frustrating things that you can experience in any situation, right? Everyone has been there when they see a friend making shit choices and you're just like, bro, dude, homie, baby, love, sis, ah, bruh. And the person just like, wee, just jumps their car off that cliff and then comes sliding back into your DMs like, you was right, right? But in this case, there was a little bit more at stake, I felt, and as we were talking about this and realizing that it was becoming logistically difficult now, in addition to emotionally difficult, he finally said, you know what, I think it would be best if you stayed in Vienna while I go and do these appearances, these book appearances. And then I started panicking even more because I was thinking to myself, I have failed. I, as his slave, as his submissive, have failed him because my job is to be there by his side to protect and serve and all of that shit. And I'm not doing that and I'm a fuck up and I'm failing and I'm crying and I'm upset. He's like, why are you so upset? Why are you crying? I said, because I'm not, I feel like I failed at my job. And he'd like stopped me and was like, no, stop. You have not failed. It is the opposite. What I am doing now shows how successful you are because I am strong enough to say, I know that this will be a difficult thing for you to do. And with all of the issues with the travel, in addition to everything else, there's a train strike or train repairs or whatever else. So he can't even get there directly by train. He has to transfer twice to buses in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> like at 4 a.m., right? And so he said, I can do this. I have the fire in my stomach to do it. And I need to protect my property. And so he basically like prime directive me, prime directive, <laughs> prime directed, uh, me out of this scenario. And then I started wondering, I wonder if perhaps this bad feeling of dread that I got was not necessarily meaning that he shouldn't do it. Perhaps it was that I needed to take a step back because I have been in an emotionally friable, fraught, fucked up state for weeks now. And this is one of the things that I preach to everyone all the time is to take those assessments every day, see where you are, and step into your potential 
today. And I don't always do that for myself. In fact, I rarely do that for myself. I frequently am looking around to see what I need to do for Georg first to meet his needs, to make sure that he's all right, because he's my world. He is everything that I need to have in order to feel like I have purpose. And so to feel like my needs mean that he doesn't have me there was this initial sort of panic and freak out. But then as we sat together with this decision, I realized that I was relieved and that I was so grateful and so proud to be partnered with someone who is so strong now because he's right. This is not something he could have done on his own, essentially, three, five, 11 years ago before we met, right? It'll be 10 years that we've been together on December 21st on the solstice. That will be our 10th solstice night together. And I kind of can't believe that it's been that long because so much of what we do feels so in the moment and so present. And so now I don't feel the march of time rolling behind me. I just feel like I'm living this adventure that's sometimes so difficult. Yeah, especially when you're someone like me who struggles with anxiety and self-esteem issues and you're partnered with a person who also struggles with anxiety and self-esteem issues and complex PTSD and, you know, being on the spectrum and all of the spiciness that that entails. And to be honest, even in the midst of these times when I feel so stressed and such a mess, I wouldn't change a fucking thing. Not one. Last night, it was the Austrian premiere of 11,000 Strings, which is the piece that Georg was commissioned to write that requires 50 pianos that are each microtonally tuned to some sort of mathematic thing that Georg pulled out of the beautiful chaos that is his process. And I wish I could describe it for you, but you cannot imagine what happens when you are in the presence of that much sound vibration. If you're a woo person and you know like sound baths and all that shit, imagine that, but with like 50 pianos and all of the strings vibrating, and at some points, all of them vibrating all at the same time. But it doesn't even sound like pianos anymore. The best description, when I first heard the full effect, I said it sounds like, you know, in the Bible, when they describe angels as being these like boiling clouds of flame with thousands of eyes and voices that sound like thunder. Be not afraid. I was like, this is what angels sound like. This is that sound. This is that vibration, that chaos and beauty that when you listen to it, you can't even listen to it with your ears. It has to be your body that hears it. And the magic that that produces was so on fire last night. I saw something I've never seen before in an audience. And that was just hundreds upon hundreds of faces gasping in surprise and delight and sitting because the space was set up so that there was free room to roam on the main floor. And then the balconies and all of that were still fixed seating. And just seeing people like whispering to each other and jumping in startled surprise when some particularly passionate sequence would occur. And then at the end of the performance, the applause was over six minutes. And if you're American, you're like, oh, whatever. But you need to understand that American audiences are hoes. They are just slutty, given up, standing ovations for every motherfucking thing. 
like this might sound bitter and fucked up, but like I don't even like I don't even get impressed when I get a standing ovation because the reality is audiences in America are so trained to know that what they experienced was life altering and totally worth it. And oh, my God, amazing, because they've spent hundreds of dollars to have that experience. Right. If you spend five hundred dollars, you know, for you and a friend to see a show and it's mediocre you know, you're not going to want to feel like you just wasted your money. So you're going to jump up and clap and cheer with the crowd. And that puts the cherry on top. Yes, you obviously, that money was worth it. But the thing is that in Europe, the governmental organizations that fund and sponsor art see it as vital to the health of their citizens as healthcare, which is also provided for fully. <laughs> but I digress. So we're looking at places where people seeing theater, people seeing shows, people seeing music, they're much more discerning they're much more reserved because they see so much, they know so much. They have heard 18 different versions of, you know, that Haydn symphony. So if it's a shitty rendition of it, if the arrangement's bad, they're gonna be like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, the cellist is, oh, whatever. So to be in that house and to watch him on stage in his leathers, <laughs> receiving the adulation and respect and awe of hundreds of people, hundreds upon hundreds of people. It just swelled my heart because this is all that I want for him is for people to see the artist that I love. There were several times during the performance that I just felt tears running down my face and I didn't even know why. If you've ever had that happen to you, it's such a surprising thing when you're just so moved or touched that the tears happen. It's different than crying. It's just tears flowing. And that's him. That's his heart. That's his soul. That is what people hear and see and feel and experience when they're listening to his alchemy, because it's not just music. It's, it's magic. I'm so fucking proud of him. And I'm even more proud that we are at a place where I am able to say, I can't. I can't do that. It's too dangerous for my emotional well-being. And so when people look at master-slave relationships and they assume that slaves are, are, are emotionally abused and psychologically browbeaten and, and taken advantage of and pushed to do things that they don't want to do and moved until they are broken, I've seen examples of that. If you go back a couple of episodes and listen to my edition of When Winners Lose on the leather quote-unquote contest that Georg and I lost, you will hear and understand that the idea of a relationship where the emotional, psychological, and spiritual health and well-being of both partners is equally important. I do not believe, Georg does not believe, we do not believe that power exchange means that the submissive or slave suffers and is bent and broken to the service of the owner and master. We believe that the most important thing you can do in a relationship is take care of each other. How many vanilla folks could benefit from that? How many people who don't practice power exchange could benefit from the thought of saying, what can I do? to serve my partner, my beloved, the person I care about more than anyone. What can I do to lift them up today? And sometimes lifting someone up and taking care of them means 
giving them room and space to breathe and rest. And so I'm taking this room to breathe and rest. Well, not really totally rest because I'm doing this podcast, but that's okay. That's all right. It's restful enough. And I just want to underscore the fact that it's so important to take care of each other. It's so critical. It's so important to have the guts to be able to say, I can't, or I want to. And if I do, this might be very harmful to me. How can you support me? How can you help? And especially for dominance and masters and owners and people who are in that position in power exchange relationships to take a deep breath and look truly at the person who would lay themselves out for you and say, you know what? Not today. Do not allow yourself to be crushed under this emotional weight today. I will bear this load. What a fucking gift. And sure, there are some people who will believe that if you are a master or owner or dominant, you should be able to handle everything on your own all the time anyway. But for those of us who are in service and for whom one of our jobs, because one of the jobs on my list is certainly emotional support sub, it enabled me to breathe again in a way that I had not expected because I'm so protective of him and I am filled with so much rage and anger towards those who would harm him or belittle him or dismiss him because what they're doing is not just harming and belittling or dismissing him. They're doing the same thing to me. They're doing the same thing to us and what we stand for. And what we stand for is freedom to live your fucking life, man. (laughs) Come on. And yet there are those who would not let that happen. There are those who want to take the history and crush it and fold it into a tiny package and bury it at sea. And we are saying absolutely the fuck not. Don't ever, ever fucking erase history. And don't you dare tell other people that their stories are wrong or bad or not worth the paper upon which they're written. Don't you fucking dare. Oh my fucking God. (laughs) Oh shit. Anyway. So I'm here in Vienna for the next few days and I have people who are like, oh, let's go to this, let's go to that. So I'm trying to balance myself out between my emotional anxiety and the shit that makes me say no or oh my God, no to being invited to do social stuff because my anxiety, a lot of it is tied into not the social thing. Like once I'm there, it's tied into that bridge, that gap between like I'm sitting at home and then I'm doing the thing like that in between time is when the anxiety ramps up the most. Once I'm in the place, generally, I realize I want to be there. Those folks want me to be there. It's going to be okay. (laughs) But it's really hard for me to really accept that all the time. Right. And so I have to give myself room to be all right. And it's hard sometimes, but I'm going to fucking do it. I have some friends, some local kink folks from the new space that's opened up, The Crucible. If you have been following my podcast, you will have heard a couple of episodes from some talks that I gave there, and I'm looking forward to working with them again and possibly putting more shit together. Yay! So we'll see how that works out. And that's where I am. Where the fuck are you? What are you doing?
I know that legally and technically I cannot hear what you say and I cannot respond, but just know that in my heart I am sitting with you. And if you're having a shit day, if you're having a high anxiety day, if you're having an amazing fucking day and you can't believe how awesome your life are, I embrace you. Because I see you and I love you. Stay squishy. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb. Theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm-hmm.